The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Group A is the group of Rangers together with Ajax, Liverpool and Napoli. The road to Istanbul starts here. Liverpool know their Champions League group stage opponents. There's a tasty tie with Rangers in there. So can they chart another path to a final in a venue they know oh so well? That plus more on the fallout of the defeat to Manchester United. How do the Reds put an end to the slow starts in games? And will they turn a significant corner against Bournemouth? Now, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, don't forget you can read all the articles on Liverpool and everything else on the brilliant site if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Right now, you can sign up for a special price pound a month for six months the very best Liverpool writers on there just head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod I'm Steve Hothersall with the Red Agenda joined today by the Athletics uh, Andy Jones a little bit later on we'll have Liverpool journalist David Lynch with us as well to look at the uh, the season so far and what could be done to address the problems but we're going to start with the Champions League draw Jurgen Klopp after the defeat in Paris said book your hotel for Istanbul Andy Jones, what do we think? Well, yeah, you can tell he said that before the start of the season, can't you? <laughs> don't know if you'd have the same response uh, at this moment in time, but it's one of them, isn't it? The Champions League, the Champions League, Liverpool are always find a way to, to pull things out the bag and and it's been a competition that they've they've done, you know, very well in under Klopp. Obviously not not quite won it as many times as would have been hoped, but uh, there's no reason why they can't replicate what they've done you know, three times under him and, and get to that final again. I know you say very well. It's almost excellent, isn't it? Three finals under the manager, six successive seasons in the Champions League. This is the stuff of dream. It's the stuff that Liverpool should be involved in. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's sort of, it's become one of those things that you now take for granted again a little bit, which is nice in a way, um, because, you know, for so long there was that, Liverpool were a team that were battling for the top four, um, where it's, and I know they were, you know, during that COVID season, but generally, you know, in the certainly in the last sort of four four years, they've been comfortably, you know, in, in that top four and, and you know, challenging for the title. Um, so it's getting to that stage where it's it's nice to just feel, you know, you know the Champions League is coming rather than the, the question marks which which surround them and, and the years without it and, and sort of those Thursday nights which which nobody wants to sort of sort of go back to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no it's it's you know it's just it's just a shame that it's not three Champions League that they've won and it's only the one. But um, you know that throughout the time that, that Jurgen's been here, you know they, they've given us his team has given us so many so many new memories um, to to sort of cherish. So I'm watching the the drawn out draw in Istanbul, the lovely piece where they gave an award to Rigo Saki, and then you know they've got Yaya Torre on and the whole thing's dragging out, and then the draw takes place. So Group A, which Liverpool are in. Uh, Ajax out first and you're thinking yeah that, that's alright you know Dutch football Liverpool should equip themselves well Napoli they met them recently you know we know a little bit about them third in the, in Serie A last season and then the hairs come back uh, you know up on the back of your neck for Rangers because it's the unknown quantity of almost a battle of Britain there Andy yeah I mean that's the, uh, the Rangers is the one that really stands out doesn't it just thinking about that that you know that game at Anfield and, and 
the the, the fixture at Ibrox as well. Just the atmosphere that that's gonna gonna generate is gonna be unbelievable. I'm looking forward to it already. It's sort of it's sort of one of those games that you want to be at, and you're gonna you're gonna want to sink like sort of take in every single moment because you know from from probably way before the kickoff to to way after it, it's just gonna be an electric and and Rangers have they've shown they've got a, a really good pedigree in Europe. Uh, over the last few years, I mean, you know, you beating Europa League finalists last year, and you know, a run that looked, you know, improbable, but they they got all the way to the final and, you know, took the lead in it, and then, you know, even even recently with the the two games against PSV, obviously coming through the other day, they will give Liverpool a game, and it's not, you know, it's not one of those where in the past where you know sometimes the Scottish teams are coming to the Champions League and been, a, you know, sort of been rather underwhelming. Um, you feel like Rangers are gonna. Are going to su- maybe surprise a few a few of the teams. Um, hopefully not Liverpool, <laughs> but um, they're certainly going to you know put up a really good fight. And yeah, it's it's going to be that those atmospheres are going to be unbelievable. Yeah, the the presence of their fans in Anfield will be astronomical. Uh, this from Opta: Liverpool have never previously faced Rangers in a competitive match. The Reds only previous European Cup uh, meeting with a Scottish opponent was 1980-81 in the last 16, beating Fergie's Aberdeen five nil. On aggregate, so you, you you know you do remember a clash yeah, clash with Celtic, but I was thinking at the time, have we played them? And that's the answer, no. And that's what makes it even more intriguing. They've got Ryan Kent. There's a few little storylines that might sort of underlie this game, Andy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and even just the fact that you know, I think a lot of Liverpool fans is interested in in Rangers certainly increased with with the manager that that used to be there, Stephen Gerrard, and and sort of just track even just tracking his progress and. Um, and sort of he, he set the wheels in motion, didn't he, to, for the team that they've become, and and Giovanni Van Van Bronckhorst has taken that on to to even you know larger scale, especially in Europe. Um, but yeah, no, the, I mean you know it's it's going to be a you know a, a, a ferocious well both both games going to be ferocious nights, and yeah, I mean there's, there's some sort of links, and I don't know how much of of sort of Gerard staff is is maybe still there, um, and how much he talked to Aston Villa, but. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Kent is, is, is one of those players who, who I'm sure will be on the pitch and be looking to, to sort of prove a point since he, since he moved on from Liverpool. He's grown brilliantly as a player at Rangers, probably exceeded people's expectations. Um, I didn't mean before to underplay the other two teams because I actually think uh, in terms of English teams, Liverpool have got the hardest group in the Champions League. I think that that's a tough trio that they're going to be facing. So Ajax, Napoli... Rangers, if you look at, I don't know, Spurs, Spurs' group almost looks like a, a Europa League group. Eintracht Frankfurt, Sporting Lisbon, Marseille. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a tricky group. It's, it's one of them. It's sort of, it's maybe not as difficult as Liverpool's looked last year because that was sort of, you know, if Atletico Madrid, AC Milan, Porto, it, it sort of felt like a bit of that group of death. In the end, Liverpool blew everyone away and it was... The other three made it look difficult because um, they all sort of took points off each other, but Liverpool just sort of ran away with it. And you've got the feeling that Liverpool have the potential to do that again with this one. You would expect them to be better than all three teams, but you know, as you say, Ajax have got a, that European pedigree. Napoli have started the season really well as well. So, and I mean, Liverpool, we, we've no, we know from the you know recent seasons that Napoli are a very very difficult side to play against. We, don't think any game has been comfortable. A lot have been sort of decided by, you know, by one one goal, um, and, and and both and ties have gone both ways. Um, 
So yeah, no, it's it's not an easy group by any any stretch of the imagination. You you, you probably look at a couple of the other ones. I think Spurs is one where you think mm, yeah, I'd probably fancy that one a bit more. But um, equally, you know, they should be really really interesting and and sort of intense ties. And that's sort of what you want when you're playing in the Champions League. You want to be playing in those in those types of atmospheres, and you want the games to be you're sort of memorable. And I think this this group has got the potential um, to to be just that. It's always fascinating. You, you mentioned last season, and it was amazing they did the clean sweep on those teams. You know, Atletico Madrid, AC Milan, Porter. That was that was some performance and some show in the run that they put on in the Champions League group stage, Andy. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, I mean, <laughs> Jürgen Klopp's side seemed to have trouble with the group stages in, in, in previous seasons. It was always sort of, seemed to come down to the last day and there was a few sort of uh, needing results to go in favours or needing certain results to get through. Uh, so it was quite nice last season to sort of, you know, after four games, 12 points, happy days, cheers, uh, you can carry on while we can we can focus on other other things. And, and even then, you know, Liverpool still went on and, and won the other two games. So it, it's all, you know, that type of thing is, is, is momentum building and, uh, and Liverpool could seriously do with that at the moment, um, with with the way they've started the season, and and they will look at that and 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 I think hope to use the Champions League games as those those sort of springboards because it's one of them, you know, whether the league has gone or not, does does the Champions League suddenly is it already the the main priority type thing? Um, I don't know. It's probably a little bit too early maybe for that to to be definitely the opinion, but it certainly feels that given the way the league started. Champions League, you know, you, Liverpool under under Klopp have been so good in those sort of knockout, uh, knockout fixtures and and the group stage. You, you know, you would like to think that they can sort of replicate what they did last season and and sort of have a comfortable journey through because you know it's such an intense schedule up until the World Cup that you want to you want to make sure you sort of get the job done as early as possible. Um, given the, the the sheer weight of fixtures that that you've got to deal with and and hopefully Liverpool will have some players back as. As, as those weeks go on you can only hope I mean yeah the games are crammed in so from the first week of September that's when UEFA Champions League match day one is and I think uh, if you get to match day six that's 2nd of November normally you've got the whole of November as well in which they're playing those games so they are playing an awful lot of them um, just a thought on Istanbul and the romantic nature of all the it's, it's almost like the second adopted city for many Liverpool yeah. fans, isn't it? That that just adds something to this whole Champions League run this season. Exactly, it feels sort of I don't know destiny, doesn't it? That Liverpool should get back there. Um, I mean, hopefully they do. I mean, it's one of my sort of earliest memories. I would have been six at the time, I think, when six or seven when Liverpool won it, and and I remember just sort of watching the game and nearly giving up. Um, as, as silly of I, so young, <laughs> so naive. And to, to nearly give up on this Liverpool side, and yeah, that that is it's the first real standout memory I have of, of football that night because uh, me, me dad was there, so he you know he he's got so many stories to tell of um, you know the the days before the game, afterwards, all that type of stuff. It's one of them. It, 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 I mean, it'll never be forgotten. It's well, it's the greatest Champions League final. I'm sure Manchester United fans would disagree, but I think uh, I think Istanbul is, and and it'd be nice if if Liverpool can get back there and you know do the same. Why not? <laughs> it's their competition. They love it, don't they? A reminder: Group A, Liverpool are in. Ajax, Napoli, and Rangers are the opponents for the Reds. 
Okay, let's welcome Liverpool journalist David Lynch to the Red Agenda. Andy Jones uh, stays with us. Welcome, David. What a what a time to get you on. Goodness me, it's it's tough times, isn't it? And it's hard to fathom what on earth is going on with Liverpool. Yeah, to be fair, it makes a, a little bit of a change for uh, most of the time under Jurgen Klopp. It's been sort of pretty steady trajectory of positivity, but yeah, the start of this season been a little bit more difficult, and and obviously you you. You'd had a tricky start as it was, and then to to go to Manchester United and, and get beat by your your arch rivals in that fashion is yeah incredibly disappointing for a team who, who won nine nil over sort of two legs I suppose last season in the Premier League against United. So yeah, a, a bit of a tricky start and uh, some some real questions for you and Klopp to answer. I mean, Dave, one of the one of the hardest things. It still feels quite fresh that defeat to Manchester United. And there's obviously a huge inquest into the start of Liverpool's season plenty of speculation about what it could mean for the for the title race but they actually look a million miles away from the side that at one point were chasing down a quadruple yeah it's, it's sort of surprising how quickly that has happened though I suppose that may actually be part of the reason is that you know the, the tight turnaround between last season and the start of this is there some sort of mental or physical hangover that Liverpool are dealing with at the moment and is that causing them you know it's it's hard to go to the well again. I don't care, you know. Even if you're a professional footballer playing at that elite level, that is it's difficult to maybe sort of go straight back into it and try and do it again because they know how hard it is, how arduous the seasons are, and and to challenge City, you know that you're going to need ninety odd points in the Premier League, and and they know how hard the Champions League and the other competitions are as well. So it's maybe that's part of it. It's, it's struggling to to go to the well again, but. You know, if they do have any designs on on challenging for trophies this season, then they they really are going to have to sort it out quite quickly because you know the standards, the high standards that I mentioned in title races mean you can't really afford to drop many points, and they've already dropped a few. And uh, yeah, they've, they've got to sort that out quickly. Andy, we know how hard Liverpool worked last season to get get in that conversation about a possible quadruple, and you know we understand the intensity with which they played in the Premier League and the Champions League as well. I just wonder how hard it is for the players to sort of replicate that once again so quickly. Yeah, I think it's it's it is sort of almost impossible because you you know you think about it they were they were two goals effectively away from sort of immortality and and to be that close haven't worked so hard literally played every game they could have last season it's just to sort of get yourself up and, and you know it was a shorter pre-season with the, with the World Cup and the season moving forward as well how much that that's been an impact obviously players went away on international duty after the season as well so haven't had you know huge amounts of time to sort of to sort of gather the thoughts I guess and, and you almost look in this sort of trance at the moment this weird sort of I don't know this hungover state of not quite realising that, that they're back sort of needing to win every football match again and it, I mean, it, it's weird. It's sort of night and day from that Community Shield. And that feels so long ago now when they went toe-to-toe with Manchester City and they just don't look like doing that with, with teams at the moment. I mean, there were better signs against Palace and they would obviously suck a punch with the goal. But the starts of, of games against Fulham and, and Manchester United have just been so below par. I mean, there were sort of signs at the end of last season when, you know, they, and they continued to go behind in, in sort of every, every seven league games in a row now, isn't it, where... And you can't always climb those mountains, even though Liverpool are a team who seem to have, have under Jurgen Klopp been able to achieve and, and, and come back from positions that look so unlikely. You can't do it all the time, and eventually it's going to catch up on you. And, and this season, it, it has, and, and they've let themselves down with the way they've started games. I mean, that United game, you know that United, after being literally hitting rock bottom, are going to come out all guns blazing, 
you know, the crowd's going to be up, given all that was going on surrounding the game. And for Liverpool to not even sort of click, to even match that intensity, it's just, it's bizarre because you were so used to, to Liverpool being that side who blow teams away in the first 15 minutes or, you know, put the marker down and control and dominate the games from, from the off. I couldn't have foreseen it. I, I was in the gym before the Manchester United game and a fella said to me, he said, I think this is a banana skin tonight. And I laughed it off and said, oh, no, you know, nonsense. You know, Liverpool don't do this three games on a row. Did you see it coming, David? You know, was it was there obvious signs that this is was more than just a, a slight blip? I think I, I was slightly concerned after the, the Crystal Palace game just because, you know, as Andy mentioned, the, the start against Crystal Palace was actually really, really good. Liverpool were, looked really lively, penned, penned them in. You know, the, the Palace just couldn't get out at all. And you were thinking, OK, Fulham was just a bit of an aberration. You know, they're straight back into it. This is what it's going to be like now for the rest of the season. It's, it's straight back into it. But the fact that then all that happened against Palace and the, the, the mental aspect of that as well, in, in terms of not winning that game, I think I was a little worried that that would have an, an impact on the players. And I think it did. I think it's almost like, oh, this is much harder now, you know, and then finding it more difficult. And then, yeah, straight back into that habit of a, a poor start at United. And then, it, you know, you're giving yourself a mountain to climb. And I think... You know, it's interesting actually that, that because that habit started last season actually um, in terms of going behind in games one of the big aspects of being able to turn that around was was the size of the squad and the quality that Liverpool had I think you know Liverpool's squad was incredibly strong last season wasn't it and and they were winning a lot of games off the bench late on now because of a combination of factors one of them being the fact that they've got so many players out injured but also another factor being that I think you could argue that the squad is slightly weaker at the start of this season than it was at the end of the last. That is making it harder to win games off the bench and, and they've obviously not done that now. They didn't do it at Old Trafford despite sort of finishing fairly strongly. And yeah, now you're into, you know, three games without a win and that, you know, as I've said before, in, in terms of the standards that Liverpool set is is almost disastrous now. Well, I mean, they've obviously got over, what, £200 million worth of talent out, David, but actually that starting eleven at Manchester United was still good enough to produce something far better than that. The the excuse, I suppose, is is that you'd say that the injuries would impact their ability to to change things from the bench. But in terms of the starting eleven that they had out, the, the the poor start is is inexcusable. I think there's no you can't really pinpoint any reasons for that because you look that back five, for example, is the one that pretty much started all season when they won the Premier League. So uh, you know, ran away with it really uh, a couple of seasons ago. The 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 front line is what you would argue is. Two of the front three is is your first choice plus Firmino, who wow, not a bad replacement for Darwin Nunez, who's who's still finding his feet. So he could have, you know, Klopp may have opted to go for Firmino in this game anyway, had had Nunez not been suspended. Perhaps the biggest question marks are in midfield, and that that is obviously the, the huge debate at the moment anyway, um, whether that is you know even close to what you would have ideally started with at Old Trafford. But still, enough quality in that eleven to, to have a far better start. So I don't think injuries are excuse, uh, an excuse for that at all, no. Let's go to um, the midfield. I, I don't know about you, Andy. I was scratching my head when Fabinho's name wasn't on the, the starting eleven in, in the midfield. Um, Harvey Elliott, great talent, but you're looking at Fabinho's experience. I know he wasn't great against Crystal Palace. The, the midfield situation is a concern, but in Fabinho and Henderson, you, you've got so much experience to draw on there. Yeah, exactly, and, and yeah, I was very surprised when he when he left for being out. I didn't really get it. Didn't, given the the lineup United picked and sort of what was quite clearly their intent to sort of play on the counter and and sort of try and transition. And and Fabinho is is so good at that. And I know he's 
he's not had the best of starts of the season, but I can't say that any of Liverpool's midfield have, have sort of, you know, hit the ground running. I know Harvey Elliott played, you know, sort of came into the game against United and, and has looked good in, in, in parts, but it wasn't as if, like, Fabinho's been out of form and, and other players have deserved his place, which is what made it sort of as bizarre as anything, really. It was a game that suits him in, in those putting out the fires and, and stopping those transitions, and, and you sort of look at the two goals that, that United score, you know, where Sancho picks the ball up in the middle of the box, the first one is where Fabinho usually is. Um, and then the second one, you know, it's a, it's a poor touch from, from Henderson, isn't it, to, to sort of start it all off. And, you know, again, would, would Fabinho have done that? Probably probably not, but but that's that's the thing. And I think the experience will be important now because, you know, they need to use that to their advantage. They, they've been in difficult situations before. You look back to the to sort of the COVID season where... You know, everything seemed to be against Liverpool and, and they used their experience to, to sort of fight their way out of it. And it almost feels like that at, at this point. I mean, it's not a sort of as crisis at that point of possibly missing out on top four because it's still so early in the season. But they need to draw on, on that experience and, and get back to just doing the basics and just get back to dominating midfield because that's that's what they're struggling to do. That You think back to, to Klopp's best midfield and it's full of aggression, it's full of physicality, it's, you know, it dominates it, you know, it, you know, squeezes the opposition and the midfield against Manchester United did, it was the opposite of that. You know, there just wasn't those those characteristics there and and it was just lacking the basics and, and Henderson and Fabinho have been two of the key components of a clock midfield who've been able to impose themselves on, on games and they need to get back to doing that. So I think Fabinho being needs to be back in that side to, to sort of be able to help set that tempo and, and Henderson has been better in, in that more forward role. He can play the six and has played the six well at times but you know he's better in that in that sort of number eight, in the number eight role, linking the attacks further forward and, and playing on that right with with Mo and, and Trent. When you refer to that best midfield, I mean obviously Thiago's in there. He's one of the first names on the team sheet if he's fit, and that's the massive question mark. But is there an argument, or is it fair enough to say, David, that actually when he's not, there's a bit of a drop off to actually his replacement or a body that would replace him in the midfield? Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem with Liverpool's midfield and why there's debate raging about the quality of it for, for such a long time. Even last season when they went close to quadruple, the argument was that you know that was the obvious position where they needed to strengthen going into this summer. And obviously that, after missing out on, on too many to, to Real Madrid, has, has not happened. I think Liverpool's so reliant on Thiago because they don't have anyone who is is close to that level in terms of quality about moving the play around and, and creating gaps and you know he's not the man who makes the assist but we've, we've said it before is he's the, the one who plays the pass before the assist and he, he's so good at disorganising other teams and his, his quality in tight positions is yeah unmatched really but and, and it's absolutely fine to, to build your midfield around someone like that it's a bit of a step change in fact for Jurgen Klopp really in terms of what he'd had before at Liverpool but then he has this injury record and Liverpool were fully aware of this fact. So it's it's no surprise that he's missed games in previous seasons. He's going to miss games this season. And to leave yourself so exposed to missing him so badly just feels like poor planning. You know, there's players behind him. You know, Naby Keita is one of them. He picks up injuries quite frequently. Has, has shown flashes of quality in his Liverpool career and was and played quite a big role last season in terms of keeping the squad fit really important as a rotational player but you know not someone that you think that the manager can ever rely on because of his fitness issues and because he possibly doesn't trust him you know same goes for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain again it's not 
a huge surprise that he is injured. So yeah, be, beyond Thiago, you you don't really have that that depth that, that makes you really convinced that that Liverpool can play at a high level, worthy of winning the Premier League by getting ninety plus points or challenging for the Champions League if they don't have Thiago fit and. That's just not something you can really rely on going into a season. So, you know, there were already question marks about the way that that midfield was comprised. I know Klopp said prior to the season he's absolutely happy with the numbers he's got there, and that is probably right to say. But the quality and the reliability of those numbers is, you know, is is up for debate really. And I just think going into this summer, I, I thought midfield was the one area that Liverpool really needed to make a, a marquee signing and. And that has obviously not happened, and I think they've left themselves exposed to this situation, which is where they're relying on players who, you know, in Milner's case, is could this be a season too far? I know he wouldn't like me saying that, but you know, the question has got to be asked. You know, Jordan Henderson, some patchy form at times last season, um, even even in a season that was as, as fantastic and successful as that. Elliot, fantastic talent, but quite young. Same with Fabio Carvalho. So yeah, real question marks on what's beyond Thiago and and. Yeah, and what would comprise Liverpool's starting midfield and that, yeah, it's not a good basis for, for going for another run at a quadruple, that's for certain. No, it's not. I mean, it's a massive conundrum. I'm sure Jurgen Klopp would just love another body, but at the same time, he's probably thinking back and thinking, I don't know, Ben Davis, Ozan Kabak, Stephen Corker, late buys or late bodies in there, Andy, which actually have turned out in the long run to be of absolutely no use whatsoever. So that. So a knee-jerk reaction or just getting a body in sometimes isn't necessarily going to work for Liverpool here. Yeah, and, that, and that's why it's so difficult. And I mean, especially at this stage in, in the window when you've got so little time and you're probably going to end up... If you, if you are going to go and sign a player, and the, and you, the ones you made... I know Ben Davies was, was signed, but for sort of a very small fee. And you look Kabak and, and Corker were, were loans. You know, if you're going to go out and buy a, a midfield of, of the quality that Liverpool need... And you would want him to be in sort of that, I guess, 22 to 25, 26 age bracket, which Liverpool, I don't think, have any midfielders in that bracket. That's why it made it look so obvious that they needed to, to sort of go and recruit the next, you know, midfielder who's going to be a, an important part of the team. Um, yeah, at this point, you are you are either overpaying for someone or you're bringing somebody in who, one, is probably not going to be the standard of what you what is required and also is going to come in with expectations that are probably too high because whoever <laughs> if, if a midfielder is walking the door in the next sort of what eight eight days we've got left or, or whatever it is they're going to come in with the expectation of they're going to be the one to solve Liverpool's midfield problems and and that's quite a difficult um or certainly big expectations to have and, and you can't have that with with players so yeah, it's a, it's a real difficult conundrum because they've left it so late, and you know nobody envisaged this start. So nobody envisaged Liverpool needing to even think about having to buy a midfield, even though it has been the conversation and discussion. You know, Liverpool have, have probably sort of put themselves in their own corner by again gambling on the fitness of of these players who've consistently not been able to stay fit. And at this point, you are now leaving yourself with with trying to bring somebody in who's probably who's not going to be the answer, or is unlikely to be the answer long term, unless they go and overpay or you know spend huge money on a player that they've been looking at for, you know, Bellingham's the obvious example, but you know, a player like that who they've been scouting for a number of years and and have to just go and pull the trigger a bit like they did with with Diaz last January when they sort of that was obviously different circumstances because Tottenham were looking to bring him in and Liverpool moved forward and. You know, advance their plans, I guess. But it it feels a bit like that they need they might need to just bring one of their plans forward 
the problem is that might cost them more money than it than it should do. And it's whether they hold firm and, and hope that they get players back and they can ride this out, or they put themselves in, in a situation where it might well kind of get worse than the Monday, probably not. Um, but you know, stay in that same difficulty uh, until they start getting these players back fit. Hello, I'm James Richardson. If, like me, you've ever felt like one of Cantona's cows watching gamely as football steams past like an express train, then why not join me three times a week over on the Totally Football Show? This Monday, for example, I'll be joined by Daniel Storey, Tom Williams and Benji Lignardo to explain what actually happened this Premier League weekend. Tuesday, it's the turn of the Euro crew, Horncastle, Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurence to drop knowledge on all the continent's big stories, including this week the biggest last-minute comeback in Bundesliga history. Thursday then, it's back to our septic aisle to preview the weekend's Premier League games again with data beta Duncan Alexander and this week, analysis from Carl Anker and Adrian Clark. Join us then for cogent insight, fun and a few feeble puns plus the odd move from me to search for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. We're sponsored for this episode of Warcom by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I mean, if Navi had been fit, he would have played, wouldn't he, at Old Trafford, David? Plenty of speculation about whether he's actually happy at Liverpool Football Club in the final year of his contract. Yeah, it's a strange one, really. It was one of those that, because those reports had come out and then he, he gets an injury, it, it felt a little bit suspicious before the before the game that he'd, he'd suddenly dropped out of the squad. But I'm assured that he actually is injured. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think he, he, he certainly would have started that game. Whether he would have made... Uh, a big difference or not is is difficult to say. I, I don't think you could argue that he's someone who who's guaranteed to have to have dominated that game. His 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 form at Liverpool has been a little bit up and down at times, as well as his fitness record. But yeah, he's he's in a a difficult situation. I, I think the talk of him maybe signing a new contract and all that is I'm a I'm a little bit wary about that. I'm I'm not so sure that Liverpool will think that it's worth signing themselves up to this again because it's. You know they haven't been able to rely on him in the way they hoped. He hasn't quite made the impact that they thought he would. If he wants to play more regularly elsewhere, then I think it would possibly suit all parties really for him to depart. Now, if he's got an injury now and it's it's fairly severe, it's a few weeks or a you know a couple of months or whatever. We don't we don't quite know yet. That's really going to put paid to the idea of him leaving at this point. So I think it's just one of those where everyone just straps in for another season and and maybe he does depart on a free transfer, but. 
yeah, I think um, you know the talk of a contract. I I just can't see it happening anymore. I, I really struggle to see why Liverpool would would tie themselves into someone who they've just not quite been able to rely on. Particularly as the you know they're already going to have issues going forward. I think in terms of the aging profile of certain uh, elements of the midfield. You know, Thiago, his injury record's not going to improve as he gets older. Jordan Henderson the same. James Milner's eventually going to depart. They need reliable quality bodies when they start uh, looking and you know if, if they have to wait until next summer to do that it's probably going to be in a situation where they need maybe two or three as well David are you, are you almost hinting at a season of transition dare I say it's not what Liverpool fans want to hear yeah I, I, I wrote that in a piece actually earlier this week wondering whether wondering out loud whether there was almost an acceptance that that was what this was going to be quite early in the window especially when they didn't get too many from Monaco because you know, there are elements of the squad that have changed in, in notable ways. For example, you know, Harvey Elliott is going to play a lot of minutes this season, which I think is exciting and I, I want that to happen. You want to see young players given a chance, but he is extremely young. Can you hang your hat on him being a part of a, a team that challenges for the biggest honours? Possibly not at this stage of his career, even though it's very important that he plays a big role. You know, Fabio Carvalho, again, another young player who's going to pick up a lot of minutes, but you know, you're going to get the downside as well as the upside of these young players. Nunez, it's going to take him time to find his feet as Sadio Mane's replacement, someone who's so, you know, such an important figure for Liverpool over so many years. And you haven't got the likes of Origi and Minamino on the bench any longer, who were, you know, the best sixth or seventh choice attackers you could possibly have. Uh, you're, now, you're now going for much less experienced options uh, instead. So, yeah, I think there's an element of a, a transitional season about this, which it, it feels like a real shame to sort of accept that. And, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm possibly speculating on that front, whether whether that acceptance is, is within the club. It's just something I sort of believe from the outside. But, um, yeah, if they have accepted that, then it's, it is a shame to go from challenging for all four trophies possible and taking it that late, as late as any English club has ever done, uh, to go to a season where it's going to be a bit more difficult. And I would also actually point out, if there was an acceptance it was a, a tr- transitional season and you are going to have to sign two or three midfielders next summer because so many are departing, there's an argument that at least one of those should have come in to be part of this transitional season because you are going to have to bed in a lot of midfielders alongside you know, um, all the other changes you've made to the team in this year. You're going to have to bed in those midfielders all at once next season and that, that sounds like something that would be quite difficult to do, to be honest. It's really hard to get your head around, isn't it? The idea, Andy, that, that that this could be use that word transitional. That it's almost like a a bridge to the the next development of the squad. And then you sort of think, well, where was Man City's transitional period? Are we jumping the gun on this or not, Andy? Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I think obviously the the start of the season plays and it plays a part in that because if Liverpool had you know won two of even two of three games, if they'd they've had that blip against Fulham and come back and beat Palace and Manchester United, then I don't think it will be will be part of the discussion, but it did feel that quadruple, that, that season felt like the end of something, if you know what I mean. It felt like the end of a, a journey that Liverpool had been on to try and get to the point where they were in a position to win all four trophies and they were, as you said before, very, very close to doing so. So it, it sort of felt like this could be that. I mean, even you look at that midfield and that age profile, it's almost like Liverpool have now got their, their experienced midfielders in sort of, you know, Thiago, Fabinho, Henderson, sort of approaching 30s, past 30s, and then they've got the next sort of core, I guess, in, in terms of Ketch Jones, Harvey Elliott, Carvalho, those types of players who are just not quite at the peak age yet. And it almost feels like it, it might be this year where 
you know, you sort of use that this to, to develop the players and, and the start of the season might, you know, sway that into into you know, that that happening more like well, that being more likely to happen and that you give the opportunity to some of these players to to get that year of experience, that proper, you know, a lot of football, a lot of minutes in the Premier League, for example, to try and develop and, and, and when you talk about sort of I guess next summer and, and what they might need to do, you, you would hope that some of the people have stepped up, like you know, would will Curtis Jones step up for example, and suddenly you don't maybe necessarily need to add three midfielders, you might only need two. But I do understand I still understand your point in terms of Man City in that, you know, they don't <laughs> they they don't need a transition season, they just go from uh, you know, season to season and keep that consistency up and and to be fair, Liverpool have, have, have done that themselves. And, and you could argue that, you know, was Man City's transition season when Liverpool, you know, walked the title and in 2019-20, was that their sort of transition season where they were below par and they were resetting to go again? It also helps that they have significantly, you know, more scope in the transfer window, I guess. And, and it helps that they are able to use the academy to sell players for, you know, a lot of money for players with no real experience. And that, that also helps in terms of financial fair play aspect and the amount of money they can spend and I know they're not as free spending as, as possibly have been in the past but you know they, they still have the ability to go out and and, and, and adapt and, and change their squad a lot more than, than Liverpool have been able to we've had to ride sort of those same same players and you know Man City to be able to sort of sell Sterling, Jesus and Zinchenko in the same window and still be and still look as strong as they can sort of Sort of shows where they're at compared to Liverpool, and when they, when Liverpool lose one in Mane, how significantly it, it can shift things. We still live with massive hope, and one of the things Liverpool have always been great at is putting a long run together, where all of a sudden, you know, they change the story and change the the mentality of everything. Could it start with Bournemouth? Have they got it in them, David? I mean, I, I still firmly believe, it. again, the same mindset ahead of the Manchester United game. I'm there thinking, right, they're just going to start steamrolling teams now. But I'm, I'm hearing a lot of negativity. Are we going to get one of those Liverpool runs? It's not a bad place to start. You know, Bournemouth at home on paper sounds like a really inviting fixture to, to get things going. I, I mean, I, I don't want to worry anyone, but obviously Scott Parker's last two games against Liverpool a couple of seasons ago, he, he got a draw a, a, a draw at Fulham and a, and a win at Anfield. Come uh, on. I, think, I think it's slightly different conditions when you've got, uh, you know, that, that was a really injury-hit Liverpool team and, um, yeah, and, and no fans in Anfield, which I think makes a massive difference. I think, and Klopp's already actually spoke about that, hasn't he? He wants the, the atmosphere really at Anfield for the Bournemouth game, not one that you typically think would be a, a crazy atmosphere, but he wants it to be a little bit feral because Liverpool really do need to, to use that as a springboard to get the season going. Um, you know, Bournemouth have looked okay at the start of the season, but, you know, they've come up against a couple of big boys, haven't they, in Arsenal City and, and, and been thrashed really. So, you know, you could think that on paper for Liverpool, this this could be that perfect springboard. And if they can, you know, rack up a decent score, that'd be really good for confidence. And they can really use that going forward to to hopefully, like you say, get on one of those runs that they've, they've done in previous seasons. But of course, it's Newcastle and Everton that follow. There's just no easy easy runs, Andy, or easy paths now, are there? No, exactly. And and you look at those fixtures, and so, I mean, you see what Newcastle did against Manchester City and suddenly that game seems a lot harder and you know they might be signing this you know this Isaac uh, as well and to add to the mix and yeah and then and then the derby's the derby isn't it who knows you would like to think it'll go the same way as as the you know it has you know in recent times last season but you know, there's no guarantee with the derby is there 
the good thing is that Everton just <laughs> are having a worse start than Liverpool. So um, there's, there's always that. But yeah, no, it does feel like Bournemouth is a, is a if it needs to be a springboard. It, it, there's no you know if buts or maybe's about it. It has to be you know that Liverpool need to put in on a performance. They need to just not even for supporters, but also just for themselves. They need to I guess just remind themselves how good they are and and the dominant victory. Needs to it needs to happen. Um, whether that's going to be the case, whether it, you know, if they don't start well, if they don't get that goal in the first twenty minutes, how nervy, how quickly does it become nervy, and how does that affect things? Um, because Bournemouth are going to come to frustrate. They're going to try and play on that, try and play on Liverpool, I, I try and you know not let them start quickly. And but you know for Liverpool they need to come in and assert themselves and be dominant. And Bournemouth gives them the best opportunity to do so, and then that hopefully will. We'll start the momentum rolling into those next two, which which won't be easy. Boys, you've been great. David Lynch, uh, thank you very much for your counselling on today's uh, podcast. Superb to have you on the Red Agenda. Uh, Andy as well. There's uh, some great articles online at the moment. Liverpool's problems, Van Dijk's drop-off, Diaz deep, Trent's lack of cover. Kiva's written that with Mark Kerry. Of course, stuff on the Champions League draw as well. And, uh, and Liverpool, of course, drawing Derby in the Carabao Cup. So head to The Athletic uh, for all the latest stuff on Liverpool, especially heading in towards the end of the transfer window as well, when I'm sure more and more rumours will surface. Thanks for listening to the uh, the Red Agenda. We appreciate your company as always. We'll be back with you after the weekend game against Bournemouth. See you then.